Hey, what's going on, everyone? Joe Biscalia here, just before the pod, just letting you know, we recorded this around 11.20 a.m., and we got done quite literally 10 minutes before the firestorm of signings happened for Tuesday. So this podcast is more of a review of what uh, what happened on Monday, with along with some looking ahead as well. But that's why you won't hear the names of Cole Beasley, John Brown, and Ty and Siki. So this is just a heads up, which is why you aren't hearing that, because, of course, we got hit with a flurry of activity. Again, we'll, we'll do another podcast uh, not too far into the future. All right, guys, enjoy the pod. Thanks. Well, the Buffalo Bills, even though it was a bit of a slow start to which there were a lot of uh, folks out there going, hey, what the heck are you doing only being interested in Frank Gore as soon as free agency, the negotiation window opens up. And my oh my, we were treated to uh, quite a busy day all throughout, really from the time it started at noon up until around, I want to say like 8.30 or 9 o'clock where the Bills were just in on a lot of different things. And and even, hey, we're recording at 11.18 on Tuesday, March 12th, and there are still some some stokes in the fire for the Bills and, and some names out there that they would be interested in. But we're here to break down that first day of the negotiation window down for you because, yeah, it was it was a hectic one. But above all else, Matthew Fairburn, the Buffalo Bills got need priority number one. They got a center. Mitch Morse, we've discussed Mitch Morse and Matt Paradis at length on this podcast, the ideas of them, where they come from. And, you know, from Mitch, for Mitch Morse being at Kansas City for four years, but even before that, being at Mizzou, you have kind of a unique perspective on him. And I know we got into it in a previous podcast, but because you were there, he was there, I mean, what what should Bills fans know about uh, Mitch Morse more than anything, just from where where you come from? Yeah, this is a guy that they're going to really like just from a personality standpoint. I think he's such a perfect fit into the locker room. I think he'll be a leader right away. He was affectionately referred to as the dad on the offensive line, both because of how he dresses and how he acts uh, at, at Mizzou. Um Good player, uh, played right tackle at Mizzou. He kind of played all over the offensive line at Mizzou. They tried him at center early in his career, and he didn't really like it. Um, but obviously, he's taken to that position pretty well uh, in the NFL. He's super engaged in the community. I think he'll uh, like it now, too, seeing how yeah, he's making 11 million a year. It, it turned out to be a pretty lucrative career choice for him to switch to center full-time. But I think it's important at that position to have an understanding of all the positions, and he does have that, which is uh, a big bonus. I, look, is is it a very rich contract for Mitch Morse? Sure, yeah, it is. I mean, he's uh, um, you know the highest paid center in the league right now uh, as of this recording until Matt Paradis maybe signs a bigger deal, but they have money. That's not an issue. They have to spend it somewhere, and you know we've talked about center being such a critical spot on the offensive line and how important that can be for a young quarterback, how important it can be 
for the rest of the offensive line. It's why they signed Eric Wood to an extension when they did. Uh, obviously, his retirement threw things out of whack, but now they've got a center who they think, um, you know, he's turning 27 next month. He'll be, this should be the prime years of his career. And who knows, he could be here even longer than that. I mean, he is a guy that I think as long as he stays healthy, he's a huge upgrade on the field, uh, a definite great guy to have in the locker room. And I, I really do think once uh, Bills fans hear from this guy more and more that, that they'll fall in love with him. Yeah, and the value of center to Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott in particular is why this was such an important cog in free agency for them. It's why when... I'm sure you you wrote along the same lines, I think, in your, your free agent series, um, and as well as I did when, you know, ranking the their free agent needs uh, heading in. I think it, it was like a three or four weeks ago now, but center was firmly atop the list because they were, it was just helter-skelter on the offensive line all year long. I mean, not only did Ryan Groy and Russell Bodine stink, last year they also put a lot of their offensive linemen in bad positions because they weren't communicating they weren't uh they weren't getting everybody on the same page and there were a there were a few things that likely could have been avoided had they had a, a firm and steady hand at uh, at that center spot and certainly it would have helped josh allen maybe even nathan peterman who knows <laughs> in the first few weeks but uh but there there are plenty of uh plenty of avenues for why the center position is so important to them there were no leaders on that offensive line and that's a you know maybe a a strong thing to say because there were some veteran guys there and there were guys that maybe you know would prefer to refer to themselves as leaders but there was a clear lack of of leadership uh when they lost eric wood and richie incognito i was actually just listening to eric wood's podcast the first episode he interviewed Richie Incognito first we've heard from Richie in a while and and they they talked about how Richie Incognito throughout his career had to tell the left tackle what was going on he had to tell Cordy Glenn what was going on he had to tell Deion Dawkins what was going on and what they had to do and when you lose not only Eric Wood who was obviously you know one of the the you know spokespeople for this team essentially in that locker room but you lose Richie Incognito who is uh, one of the smarter offensive linemen, um, you know, that's been in the league in recent years, and obviously one of the smarter guys they've had in that room. It affected the communication and everything else that that was going on on that offensive line. I mean, smart football people talk about the importance of the center position, and and in terms of dollar value, eleven million isn't way. It doesn't reset the center market in a crazy way. There's uh, Ryan Jensen in Tampa is around 10 million. Khalil was uh, in that range as well. So I mean, it's not an insane dollar figure. And look, if you sit out the first couple days of free agency when you have 70, 80 million in cap space, you're not going to find a lot of places to spend that money. So right. I think honestly, this will be their most important signing of the offseason, unless they, you know, Brandon Bean gets a little crazy and, and goes out and signs Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> I don't think they're going to break the bank more than they did for Mitch Morris, and I don't know that they're going to add somebody this offseason that will be as important to what they're doing uh, as Mitch Morris will be. Well, I want to get to the the Le'Veon Bell report, which might be obsolete by the time we actually post this, 
But um, I want to get to that in just a second. But in terms of Morse and his contract being 11 mil per year, first thing, we know the guaranteed money. I think it's something around 28 million is what I saw reported from Pelissero last night uh, of NFL Network and um, how much he'll make in the first two years, I, I think, is, a, is around that, that same vein as well. But um, what we still don't know, just like it's always a struggle this time of year. I mean, it happened with Spencer Long. It happened with Tyler Croft. Uh, I want to see the details of, of the contract when, if they're able to easily get out from it after the, the third year, and because that might dramatically shift how we view that deal. So I want to pump the brakes on that a little bit. But in terms of the average valuation of the deal, I mean, Eric Wood, when he signed his extension with the team, was set to make, uh, and this is looking back at, back at an old Buffalo Rumblings post, um, Eric Wood was set to make $8.5 million in 2017, 8.6 in 2018, and then it, it dropped off a little bit after that. But if they're setting the market at that point with just a contract extension for almost $9 million, and this was two years ago, factor in inflation of the salary cap, plus the fact that they have to outbid some people, and this is pretty on course with uh, with what you're going to pay an above average to good starting center in the NFL. So I think uh, I wouldn't sneeze at at the money as as much as some other people. Like if if Paradis ends up going for fourteen or fifteen million dollars, I mean that that'll be where you're like, all right, they good good for the Bills to not you know try and strike that way. But still, well, like, we were talking before this. Who's to say Mitch Morse isn't better than Matt Paradis? It became a, an easy, you know, kind of narrative at the beginning of because of PFF. Of the, yeah, because Matt Paradis has the higher pro football focus grade. And look, they do. They've watched more Matt Paradis than I have. They've watched more Mitch Morse than I have. But I think you know, kind of locking yourself into that is is a mistake. And if Matt Paradis is 99 out of 100 and Mitch Morris is 90 then you know saving a few million bucks and, and getting um, you know the 1a or the 1b instead of the 1a is is a nice uh, way to go about business I think you know it's going to be an interesting you know rest of the free agency for them because they they haven't really this is the the first like big deal that they're committing you know yeah. multiple years Tyler Croft is mostly a really a one-year deal with mm-hmm. some options um, you know, Kevin Johnson's a one-year deal. Frank Gore's a one-year deal. So they still have plenty of money to play with. There's plenty of players to spend it on. Um, I, I just really think this is a a solid move. It's one I think we kind of saw coming. Um, and the fact that they got out in front, I think, is is good. Who knows if they waited till Paradise signed? Maybe that drives the price up on Morse. Uh, kind of a smart move to go for for the guy. You know. A notch below, even assuming that he is. Right. Um, you know, neither you or I have watched enough of either of these guys to know for sure that Mitch Morse is better or worse right. than Matt Paradis. But I've watched enough to know that, um, and talked to enough people to know that he's going to be an upgrade, a big one. And last year they they badly missed Eric Wood, and I think now they've got this guy's going to be an improvement in the running game. The Chiefs had 21 explosive runs. Uh, running directly behind center last year. That's nine more than the Bills had. Um, and so 
not only that, he hasn't allowed a sack since 2015. Right. I mean, this guy is That's above solid. average, I think. Yeah, I, I, that's the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and last year, if you just watched, I mean, the center position was such a weak point on the offensive line. Guys were just getting pushed back. And when I wrote that story on center play and how important it is, that was the number one thing Steve McKinney brought up was, if you don't have a good center, your inside run game does not have a chance because if you lose a yard and a half uh, at the center, you're, you're cooked. I mean, that's the worst place that you can allow pressure in the run game or in the in the passing game. So good move by them, you know, provided Mitch Moore stays healthy, which is, you know, always uh, tough to predict. He had concussion last year and a foot injury uh, the year before that. But, I mean to label him injury prone I think is silly because yeah. that injury prone implies that he's more likely to get hurt in the future which I don't think is necessarily a, a reality. Yeah, it's just fair to point out that he has missed 15 games out of a possible 64 regular season games, but um other than that, I mean, he's been what however many games that he has been available to the Chiefs, he has started for them in that role. Um I think what we could be undervaluing here for the Bills and really what they value in terms of because you brought up a good point who says Paradis is better than Morse he could be I mean I don't know that I'm necessarily going to do a deep dive on Matt Paradis now that I know he's not going to be a member of the Buffalo Bills but I'll certainly do it with Mitch Morse and try and dive into as much of his film as I can but be it as it may one thing that he has just genetically over uh over Matt Paradis he's taller He's bigger. He's got a lot longer arms than Matt Paradis. And if there's a few tenets of what Brandon Bean has shown to value highly, it's prototypes. And not a, not every GM is like this, but he has shown a major uh, penchant for making that somewhat of a priority with with the guys that they sign, being the the heights and weights and and the length the length is is one of the most important determiners i think over the past well now three off seasons of guys that could become bills i mean trent murphy is a a complete long freak um and and tredavious white has those long arms I and mean, levi wallace has those long arms tremaine Edmonds has those long arms i mean uh, josh allen doesn't it doesn't really matter for him but he has all the other prototypical measurements but still that said mitch morse is along that same vein and when you have that type of strength and you have those long arms you are less likely to give up the pressures that uh you you saw last year from russell bodine and ryan groy who are both short-limbed and you said Morse hasn't given up a sack since 2015. I think Ryan Groy gave up a sack last week. Right. I mean, he he was awful this year. And Russell Bodine still has a chance to come back. But if they add one more piece to the offensive line, see ya. I mean, if they draft a guard, he's done. Save that two million, two plus million, and live to fight another day. But still, I mean, Morse is intriguing from the prototype standpoint. And simply put. It's the age of doing business. His age. I mean, Paradis is going to be 30, just like Morse is going to be 27. That's a three-year difference. That's potentially three more years you have Morse on your roster. the whole life of Mitch Morse's contract. I mean, Paradis will be retiring by the end of his deal, whereas Morse, you might be thinking about re-signing him to a a lower-tier deal. 
He can also move in space really well. I, I think there's an element of, you know, I mentioned the fact that he's played all over the offensive line. He's He knows what's going on, understands it conceptually. And when I talked to Brian Dable last month, it, it was interesting hearing him talk about blocking schemes and everything else because a lot's been, you know, we talked about the Patriots offensive line and how each week you don't really know what they're going to hit you with right. because they can play multiple schemes. And that's Brian Dable's goal as well. And so when you bring in a center who has not only the conceptual understanding to, you know, play in a variety of different schemes, but he has the physical traits to do it. And, you know, you mentioned his size and his length, but he can get out in space uh, and, and be a lead blocker if needed and, and play in, in different types of, uh, of systems. So I, you know, Seth Kaiser does uh, chiefs film work over at the athletic and, um, if you don't follow him at real MN Chiefs fan is his handle. And he gave a, a very high endorsement of Mitch Moore said he was one of his favorite players uh, to, to break down on film because, you know, he just does everything right. And he's really a, a, one of those guys that can hold the offensive line together. So um, perhaps, you know, you and I or, and some others are uh, a bit too geeked out on center play um, and get a little <laughs> bit too into the weeds. But I think if you don't notice him, then you'll be happy and you won't care how much he, he signed for. And I, I also don't look, you have to overpay in free agency. It, it just happens because guys are on the open market and things get crazy. And it's not that big of a deal. Mo- like money is not that big of a deal. No, it's not. I mean, it is contracts, like, but not in the NFL <laughs> contracts. Well, if, Conceptually, we, if we money get into a, a really a deep conversation, we could say that that money really doesn't matter. Money doesn't buy happiness. I'm into that. Mitch Morris might. You want to? You want to do that? But perhaps that's another show uh, entirely. <laughs> but I I think the I you know people get so worked up over Frank Gore signing for a couple million bucks. I mean, in a couple of years when the Bills need the money. Mitch Morse's contract is not going to matter. Nope. Starlo Tulele's con or Latulele. I, I've been pronouncing this wrong. Someone right? has Somebody, gotten on you. Nobody's to ever come corrected on. me. Well, <laughs> I know. It just, just I've been of, calling him that since he was coming out of the draft. Latulele. So, uh, it just. I think it could go either way. Potato, <laughs> potato. But I'll probably mispronounce it five more Lotu times. Latulele is, is how you do it, right? Latulele. Latulele. All right. Well. It, well that contract won't matter in a few years either uh, because I'll just call him star and that I can't mispronounce that. But, you know, these contracts, while they're flush with cap space, uh, aren't all that important. I don't think they're not going to be able to re-sign a certain guy because of Mitch Morris's deal or, or however they spend. Now, you know, deals like that one they gave Charles Clay that were really hard to get out of, those are the ones that kind of make give you some pause. Um, but that was years ago. That was a, a, a different regime and, and guys that, you know, structured contracts a different way. And Brandon Bean has been, a, you know, a bit more savvy with, with how he's done it. So try not to panic over what they're spending the next few days because they have to spend it somewhere. They have to get better as much as they've shown patience and this might truly be a four-year plan. You'd be crazy if you didn't think they they felt a little bit of pressure to make this team quite a bit better this offseason. I mean, look no further than almost trading for Antonio Brown. Right. They, they obviously 
you know, I'm not saying they feel under the gun, but there's there's more urgency now than there has been at any point uh, in the last few years. And so they should spend. And if they have to spend a few million extra to bring in a guy like Daryl Williams, it's not your money. So first of all, you know, you don't have to pay Daryl Williams extra money and they'll be better for it in the short term as long as they're structuring deals properly and aren't getting themselves into situations where they're going to have a hard time getting out of these deals when they need to pay Tredavious White or Matt Milano or in the best case scenario, Josh Allen, a, a big deal if he earns it. So don't panic about the money is my no. long-winded yeah, point. They've got the advantage on their side of having a quarterback they believe in on his rookie deal for the next three years. And then his contract becomes a little bit less manageable for that fifth-year option. And then if all goes well, it becomes their biggest contract on the books uh, in his sixth, seventh, eighth year. Again, if all goes well. But to what you were saying, I went back and just... You just have like a, a moment where you reflect and on on the past year, and it's just I I did that the other day, and I'm just like, how in the hell did that Bills team win six games last year? I still don't know. They weren't they had such a deficiency of talent that they should not have been in as many many games as they were. Now they got blown out their fair share as well, but the fact that they got to six wins, I think. That was a minor miracle last year, if, if I'm being honest. I mean, the defense definitely took a step forward, but they didn't get much pressure on the quarterback, really at all, outside of Jerry Hughes. And Trent Murphy, you know, he he scooped up some sacks that uh, Hughes and some of the interior guys um, created for him. Scooped up some cash, too. Scooped up some cash as well, that's right. But the offense was abysmal for the until Matt Barkley, right? I mean, that was the first eight weeks of the season I mean, granted, they were two and six, but this team went four and four down the stretch, six and ten. I mean, you attribute that to Josh Allen, you attribute that to the growth of the, and hell, you attribute that to Sean McDermott because I still don't know how they did that. But to that point, now that they actually have flexibility to add to that, you're absolutely right. There needs to be some more pressure on on this roster to improve. Now, I don't know if it's necessarily a tangible wins-losses improvement because this team still might be 6-10 and 10 next year. But if you advance yourself in specific areas to where your offense is looking like it's on, it, it's on the come and, and you are about to enter into in Josh Allen's third year into hopefully a, a boom season... I mean, they, they could win seven, eight games, but I think the only way that they're really going to start feeling the heat based on what they've accomplished over the last two seasons, and I don't want to diminish what they did last season. Six and ten was a major accomplishment for the roster that they had, that they chose to have, by the way. If, if they win more five games or more, I think they are super comfortable. The only time it gets a little bit hairy is if they lose 75% of their games or, or, or more. Yeah, I think getting worse, having a worse season would be 
would be a would raise a pretty big red flag. But you're right, unless it's a compl- the bottom completely falls out. I guess my point is, what is worse though? Is it is it the win loss record or is it the it, it development? All de- you know, I always say this when these conversations come up and when people ask, you know, you know, what do you think their record will be or or what record will it take for them to for their job to be safe? I always say that it completely depends on how they get to that record. Right. It's never about, well, if they go seven and nine, they're gonna get fired. You know, well, how did they get to seven and nine? Were they seven and one and then the bottom fell out and they ended the season with eight straight games and locker room drama and everything else? I mean, Rex Ryan is the perfect example. You know, the idea that, you know, it was playoffs or bust, I think is you know, not necessarily accurate. It was the fact that it became a mess at the end of that season and they became sort of a national laughing stock that caused, you know, he kind of lost control of the ship a little bit and that's why he got fired. But a lot of it, you know, and (laughs) so, uh, you know, five and 11, you know, probably not what they're shooting for next year. But if it's five and 11 because Josh Allen gets hurt, or because, or because a lot of other players get hurt, or you know they're they lose a lot of close games. You know, I mean, so unless it's clear that Sean McDermott loses control, which we don't have any evidence to suggest that he will. I right. mean, despite some trying circumstances in the first couple of years, I mean, and he is not a perfect coach in terms of game management, and you can argue with his philosophies, but I think you're just burying your head in the sand if you're ignoring what he's done in terms of, you know, creating uh, a strong locker room, uh, you know, changing the habits uh, around the building and getting the most out of a couple of, you know, teams that really had no business, you know, accomplishing what they did, um, albeit 6-10 and 10 isn't a great accomplishment, but winning some of those games, uh, making the playoffs the first year, it's not a team that, um, you know, you worry about the locker room splintering apart or anything like that when it had a lot of chances to, uh, thanks to one Nathan Peterman. So I think there's, he has a lot of room to grow as a coach, but he also offers a lot of uh, pretty redeeming qualities. They've performed above their talent level, and now it's time to stop screwing around and add some talent to the roster mm-hmm. because some of these young guys that they've drafted and developed should be coming into their own. And then, you know, you can fill the holes with free agency in another draft class. This should be a team, I think, that that takes another step forward. Uh, let's get back to the free agent class in just a second. But you reminded me of, of one point about McDermott. I mean, we're, I'm going to use your term that you used earlier, in the weeds here in Buffalo. So we look at everything at a micro level and, and see all the, all the different decisions that lead to the finished product. But... I mean, we also had the opportunity to go to a couple of places this year, the Senior Bowl, the the NFL Combine, and, and speak with a lot of different people around the country. And I, the, the most prevailing thing when the conversation of the Bills came up with, whether it be national people or people that work in other markets or people inside the NFL, they're like, I think Buffalo's got, got something working there with those guys in McDermott and Bean that 
and you even read it in specific articles too, like the one Sports Illustrated just put up um, today about the uh, least desirable and most desirable free agent destinations, which, you know, surprise, surprise, Buffalo was the number one least desirable free agent destination based on a poll of a handful of agents. I believe Robert Klemko did it. Um, but there was also the caveat of, you know, one agent said, hey, you know what? I think they're doing the right thing there. And that's kind of this under-the-radar sentiment around the league, or at least people that are talking about them, that, that this is, it seems like they're doing all the right things, and it seems like they're building it the right way. But, you know, appearances and results are two very different things. So I just wanted to share that because I think it's important for, for because Bills fans can get into the weeds too, where they're like, ah, McDermott sucks culture! Don't give me culture, give me talent. But it, it's more than that. It's it's more about the approach, and it's uh, pretty highly regarded, I think. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's the general sentiment that they, for lack of a better phrase, they have their shit together now, as opposed <laughs> to five, ten years ago, where they most certainly did not. And I think, you know, the the idea that they are among the least desirable you know, free agent destinations is probably accurate for certain guys. I mean, but Green Bay doesn't pop up on a lot of those lists because they have Aaron Rodgers. And, and because, because they win. And because they win. I mean, n- no agent is going to be breaking news to you that there's more to do in South Florida than there is in Buffalo um, or New York City or LA or wherever but you know there's also this idea that it, the right types of guys uh, will like it here and there's also the idea that once guys get here they do enjoy it and what a lot of what matters to a lot of guys more than anything else is two things money um, mm-hmm. and winning and right now the bills have to spend a little bit more probably to get some guys but if they start winning, uh, you know, the Packers just landed three of the biggest free agents uh, on defense on the market. It's pretty cold up there. How about the Lions? There's not a lot to do up there. Detroit, yeah, same thing. I mean, so that idea, I think, is, you know, it it's not without merit, but it also isn't going to hold them back as long as they start winning. Because if you get the quarterback and you start winning, people will want to play in Buffalo because— as, if there's a couple home playoff games on TV, uh, that'll make a big difference in terms of how this city is perceived and how mm-hmm. um, this franchise is perceived. But let's face it, I don't know that anybody would want to go to a team that had... I mean, look at even Cleveland. You know, they also popped up on that list, but I don't know if I buy that right now because guys want to play with Baker Mayfield. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they're kind of... John Dorsey is, is changing things there. So, same thing as with the Bills. You know, if Josh Allen can take that step, I mean, Baker Mayfield was phenomenal as a rookie. Um, you know, a clear head and shoulders above any other quarterback in the, the rookie class. But if Josh Allen makes that type of leap, then you're sitting there next offseason. It's e- even easier to, to bring in, you know, some free agents or specifically receivers are probably going to, you know, view the quarterback a certain way so so far they haven't brought in any receivers um which is 
maybe smart because overpaying some of these guys, which you would have to do, isn't really what you want to do. So um, it, it's it'll be interesting to see how the perception starts to change if and when you know Josh Allen can uh, continue to make strides. Yeah, you're totally right there, and. You know, we kind of veered off, but I think it was an important point to make because they are still very much in the building, the foundation stage of what they're trying to accomplish, which is what they have said repeatedly, sustained success. But they can also help accelerate that with certain free agents. And, you know, as as transitions go, that's how we kind of go into what, the, what else they did. Um, and we'll also get into a couple of hypotheticals, one that... I teased out in last podcast that I want to get into because that rumor popped up again. But the other three things that the Bills did on Monday was they signed Tyler Croft, they signed Frank Gore, and they signed Kevin Johnson. Now, I don't know that Kevin Johnson is going to garner a ton of discussion here, but I think that's exactly what they needed. You know, a guy, a veteran guy with experience, um, can potentially push Levi Wallace for a starting job, make him earn that starting job in training camp. That's exactly what they wanted. Has the ability to move inside and outside if you need him to. Uh, j- they just need depth there. And I think he's got special teams um, background as well, So even though he was a first-round pick. So I, I think that was just a, a very much welcomed addition to what they do, and, and, um, and that was kind of a no-brainer signing. But it's the other two that were kind of raising some eyebrows and we'll kick it off with Tyler Croft because he was their bigger money guy of the two tight end from Cincinnati uh I believe he turns 27 in October if I'm not mistaken yes he does um and basically productive one season out of his four years with Cincinnati um it was the year that Tyler Eifert went down early in the year 2017 he Croft ends up starting all 16 games, gets 42 catches and seven touchdowns. Um, I think a little under 500 yards, maybe a little under 450. But he uh, he definitely showed he could be a productive player at, when given a starting role. And the other part about him, you can look at the stats, which is all well and good. But the part about him that I think stands out to the Bills are his is his versatility because. The dude moves really well for a six foot six, two hundred fifty pound guy with 33, 33 inch long arms. Which, by the way, there's the length point again. Um, and the other part of it is, even though he moves extremely well, it's usually one or the other with tight ends. Like you move really well and you don't really block as well, or you don't move all that well, but you're a, you're a lot better of a blocker. He shows some chops in blocking, at least from the the few games I I've watched of him and. You know, I, I, he, he was one of those guys we, we kind of discussed going into the free agent period as one of that tier of tight ends where it's guys on their second contracts. They didn't necessarily stand out in their in their first contract, but still there was some upside there. And you're probably going to have to pay for that upside, which is ended up, ended up what happening with the Bills. Now, we'll get into a contract in just a second, but your initial thoughts on Croft and, and how he fits in here. Well, the, the more you talk about length, the more I wonder, do you think Brandon Bean likes guys with long arms so much because he's so vertically challenged? <laughs> Maybe. Could be. Just some food for thought. Is he going to sign me? I, I, <laughs> the way you tower over him, uh, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Shout but, out to the bingo board. <laughs> but uh, B, 
big miss by Buffalo Wins not having your Devin Funches love on the bingo board. By it's way. not love. It's <laughs> logic. It's, I think it's a little bit more, but... Uh, it's logic. Tyler Croft, um, the thing about him is he helped get the Bills to the playoffs a couple years ago. He was pretty big, uh, yeah. big player in that when they, the Bengals had over the Ravens that got the Bills to the playoffs. So maybe that's a, a good omen. Paratutties uh, in that game. For his time in Buffalo. I think it's, uh, I like Tyler Croft as a player. Uh, I thought, you know, that year um, that Tyler Eifert was out, he showed quite a bit. Um, he was on my fantasy team, so perhaps that's <laughs> coloring my thoughts a little bit. Um, but he was pretty productive, seven touchdowns. And um, I, th- I always thought he was pretty decent coming out of college as well. So like you said, they also have this kind of tendency to get guys coming off injuries mm-hmm. that maybe can be had at a little bit of a discount. Yep. This deal isn't that bad no, it's uh, not. in terms of it's about what the market was. You know, when Nick Boyle signed last week, that kind of set the market. An interesting note is that Jesse James just got a four-year deal worth $25 million, Which is the uh, exact the same um, average valuation as as Croft, and by the way. And $11 million of that is fully guaranteed. True, right. So that's more guaranteed than mm-hmm. um, Tyler Croft got in a longer term. Jesse James, probably a bit more proven, a bit better player, but um, also gets a, a longer deal and more guaranteed money. And the Bills can also get out of Tyler Croft's deal pretty easily after one year. And again, they have plenty of money. Yeah. So uh, they they had one tight end on the roster before this. So uh, getting a guy like him, I, I think, is a, a solid move. It's not something that you should be throwing a parade over, but I right. also don't think you should be getting out the pitchforks either. Yeah, the key detail of Tyler Croft's contract is 2.4 million signing bonus, which effectively means that the way contracts are structured and how cap hits work, that salary cap gets prorated over the length of the deal. So a $2.4 million contract divided by three means an $800,000 hit for that signing bonus per year. So that means if they wanted to dump out from the Jesse James contract, or, I'm sorry, from the Tyler Croft contract after the first year, they would only owe to the cap the the final two years of that signing bonus, the $1.6 million. And they would be able to save upwards of, I believe, $5 million from for what they would have had to pay to the cap for him in 2020. So it's not as though this is a completely prohibitive deal to where they can't just go on their merry way. I think what it provides them is, you know, just a body that can go in there and start because, I mean, Jason Kroom, whatever, try and keep developing him, see if there's there's any any light there, but you need, you need an upgrade there. You needed to hit the restart button pretty significantly, and they needed, at least in my view, one of those Tyler Croft type of guys. We brought up Max Williams. We we brought up C.J. Uzoma, who re-signed with the Bengals for a similar deal. We brought up Jesse James, uh, Demetrius Harris from, from the Chiefs, uh, Jeff Hewerman from the Broncos. All of these guys that were kind of clumped in the same little mold. And the Bills landed on Tyler Croft, and they went out and got him. So I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that this 
puts them out of the realm of drafting a tight end in the first three rounds. No, not no. not I, even a shot. I, I would, I expect I would it, right, um, right. Almost. They need a, a a push of youth into the tight end group because you know they've they've been ignoring that because of the presence of Charles Clay and they couldn't get out from under the contract. But now he's gone. They can hit the restart button and let said rookie, if they are able to get one, go out and compete with Tyler Croft to see if he can win the job in year one. If not, then they're the top two on, on the roster. Well, you need more than one tight end anyways, exactly. especially in Brian Dable's offense. So uh, Tyler Croft, all, I don't know if he'll be playing much special teams at his price tag, but he does have um, experience as a pretty good special teams player as well. So having uh, you know a guy like that, even if you get a tight end that you think can be your number one, they need two tight ends. At times, they needed three. So um, injuries happen and, and whatever else, but this system also has two of those guys on the field uh, quite a bit. So getting a guy that's serviceable um, as a receiver and a blocker, a guy that has played in line, he's played in the backfield, and he's played in the slot, he can do a little bit of everything, which um, helps you disguise some things. I think nothing wrong with it uh, You know, on the surface you know, an $18 million contract for a guy whose career high in receptions is 41 or 42 um, is a little bit shocking perhaps, but this, this is pretty much the tight end market. You know, Nick Boyle, uh, CJ Azuma, who you mentioned, Jesse James, this is pretty much it. So um, I would say a fair market deal for Tyler Croft and one that's pretty team friendly at that. Oh yeah, completely. So I don't have a problem with the Tyler Croft deal. I look at him as a guy with potential. If he realizes it, then great for them. At worst, they have a good blocker um, and someone who can be a little bit of a threat. It's, the first time he runs and Bills fans, because I don't think a lot of Bills fans have watched, sat down and watched Tyler Croft. And I mean, normally, why would you? I mean, you're a fan of the Bills, so they're not really. Yeah, I would have, I'd be a little bit concerned. Um, <laughs> right, if exactly. If somebody you know is prioritizing that. In their life. But that but. said, the first time you see him run, you're going to be like, whoa, he moves really well. Like, it, there's not a lot of stiffness to how he moves down the field and how he cut, does his Unlike does his Charles breaks. Clay. Yeah, unlike Charles Clay down the stretch of his career, that's for sure. And certain other tight ends, too. Like, I even think Jason Kroon doesn't move all that well, if, if we're being honest. I mean, I know he's billed as a former wide receiver um that uh, transitioning to tight end, but uh, he, he doesn't move as fluidly as Tyler Croft does, and and he's smaller too. So, and I could see why there was an appeal there from from Brandon Bean and company. All right, let's get into the Frank Gore discussion because the, it was the subject of terrible timing. Because right when the market opened up, Bills fans were like, yes, let's go. Let's get a center. Let's get a pass rusher, a wide receiver, an offensive tackle. Let's go spend. First rumor that comes out, the Bills are thinking about signing Frank Gore. What in the actual bleep? Yeah, that's that's essentially what happened. And the idea of adding a 35, soon to be 36-year-old running back to a team that already had LaShawn McCoy and Chris Ivory on the roster drove fans insane right away because like oh does he need a walker to run and and all of these different things but if you take a breath take a step back and think about it a little bit you land on or at least I landed on two important details with Frank Gore the first 
the dude can still play. And even at 35 years old last year, they they cut in Miami. They cut his snaps pretty significantly based on what he did in Indianapolis the prior year. I think he had around 150 carries, and he was ridiculously effective. I mean, he had a 4.6 yards per carry at the age of 35, which is kind of ridiculous to think about. Now, there's no guarantee that continues, but with a reduced role, you would have to think that maybe they do have that, he does have that ability. The second, which is the more important one here, is Sean McDermott is looking for leaders in his locker room. And Kyle Williams is out the door, so they can't depend on him anymore. Lorenzo Alexander is there for another season, but they needed something else. And for Frank Gore, being having the reputation as just a tireless worker, a guy who always keeps himself in top shape. Otherwise, how is he still doing what he's doing at 35 years old? And someone that has a dramatic effect in terms of leadership within the locker room. I think that is Sean McDermott's dream. So to him, adding him for $2 million and having that kind of presence in the locker room, I mean, there there's no cost too high for that. But that said, it also puts the Bills in a predicament because... Now they have LaShawn McCoy and, and Chris Ivory, both. You would think they're going to add a young running back at some point in the draft, which they should because they haven't in a long time now. And what are they going to do at that spot? Do you cut Chris Ivory and save two mil and change? Or do you go in with all three 30-year-olds and, and a, a young runner to camp and see, see what happens? Or do you hang on to everyone just in case LaShawn McCoy ends up uh, having to sit out some time because of his off-the-field stuff. I think there's it, this is more of a complex situation than just, oh, crap, they had another 30-year-old. He is not just a 30-year-old. He's, what, 35, going to be 36? Yeah, he's in mid-30s. He's got me by four years. Yeah, he is an, he's an old man uh, by running back standards. He's two years younger than Fred Jackson. <laughs> I mean, that puts it in he perspective. Is, he played with Bills quarterbacks coach Ken Dorsey. He got there. He got to the University of Miami a couple months after Dan Morgan left. Dan Morgan is now the Bills director of player personnel. This guy is—he's old. He's an old dude mm-hmm. uh, in football years. Yes, he can still play. He's rushed for at least 600 yards in 14 straight seasons, including 700 last year, 720 um, something, and. 600 his rookie year every other year was 900 plus so he's really productive and consistent he's fourth all time in rushing but yeah how it affects the rest of the running back picture is certainly a question they haven't committed a lot to him it's a very Mm -hmm. low risk deal Mm -hmm. if he can continue if he can be an upgrade over chris ivory uh, then you've done pretty well i know he and Lashawn mccoy train together they get along uh Lashawn mccoy has been eerily quiet uh typically you'd see a, a tweet or an instagram post from him about frank Gore in a situation like this i don't know if they've told him to maybe stop uh tweeting yeah <laughs> but because uh, the night before he agreed he said next year is going to be a good year right so and someone tweeted at both of us like try to convince me that this ha- didn't have something to do with frank Gore, which you never really know yeah. in Who the knows? mind of mccoy yeah but it's kind of like Getting inside the mind of Antonio Brown. It's a dangerous game to play. Mm-hmm. But 
their plan at running back, you know, becomes a, a conversation piece because they have the three oldest running backs in the NFL under contract right now, which is not really the ideal strategy at that position. I think, you know, today they were also, Josina Anderson floated the idea that they were one of what, I think seven or eight teams that she mentioned that were still yeah. interested in Le'Veon Bell, which mm-hmm. I don't really know that I buy that. Um, what was there, six teams? Six she teams. But, but a thing here, Josina didn't even tweet it. Right. Like, she said it on ESPN and right. somebody tweeted it. So right. secondhand, you know, has got people in a bit of a tizzy that yes. uh, Le'Veon Bell could be an option for the Bills. Only insofar as they have a lot of money. You know, mm-hmm. when a team has a lot of money like the Bills, it's pretty easy for an agent to say, yeah, they're interested. And then, <laughs> you know, that drives up the price just by way of a team saying, oh, crap, if the Bills are interested and they've got all that money, we might have to sweeten the deal a little bit. Um, Le'Veon Bell's agent is also Tyrod Taylor's old agent. Um, and I, I would guess that it would take a little bit extra to get Le'Veon Bell to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, if two offers are equal, I don't know that... Uh, I've had many conversations with uh, Adisa Bakari, Le'Veon Bell's agent, and not many of them were friendly conversations. <laughs> not by my uh, anything I did. I, I tr- always try to be courteous, but he never liked how Tyrod was covered in Buffalo, always thought it was unfair, and um, you know perhaps he's he's got some some merit there but he would yell at me about uh jerry sullivan's columns which makes no sense because they weren't my columns but anyways right i digress point being that's my basis for saying my guess is it would take a little extra to get him here um the only way i think that makes any sense is if they cut lashawn mccloy yeah there's no other one if they did that i don't even know that i would you know slam the signing too much generally paying for a 27-year-old running back who's been out of football and will probably command more money than uh, anybody at the position has ever seen. Looks like a bad idea to me. Just, But he, if he plays the way that he did before he sat out a year where he was almost a slash weapon, running back, wide receiver, um, and you get rid of LaShawn McCoy, then it's a move that makes some sense. But still, I wouldn't get too excited about it. I really don't think it's it's a realistic thing, but to your point, they need a young running back. Oh my God, it's not and even they they it they crave it so much that it has to happen sometime in rounds two through five. You would yeah. think, even if it's sixth or seventh round, what? Yeah, whatever. Get some. They need a guy with some juice, and people bring up Keith Ford, but that's just he's he doesn't have the the shake uh, or the explosiveness. To, he almost runs like he's older than he is uh, in a lot of ways. He's pretty good back um, with still a little bit of upside, but I think they can do better at, from the young running back uh, perspective, which is, side note on Bills fans, one thing that I, I love about them and also am continually amazed by is how you know, you'll bring up the need for a young running back and somebody will bring up Keith Ford. I don't know if that I don't know if that happens in but this happens at a lot of positions, right? Where it's well, you know, they'll bring up some undrafted guy deep on the roster that, you know, they watch in training camp. It's a it's a great thing about Bills fans that they care about I mean, I've talked to you about this. The amount of 
uh, traction my story on Duke Williams got earlier this offseason just amazed me. A guy with a futures contract, I mean, I there are not many fan bases, I imagine, that are as invested in some of these bottom-of-the-roster uh, types of players who, you know, some of them are worth getting excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, like Levi Wallace. Uh, right. Yeah, Levi Wallace is another one that they will defend uh, to the death. But but they actually have like somewhat of a, a, a right. like point there. Yeah, Levi Wallace. But Levi Wallace was not, he's not, you know, above being potentially replaced right. uh, if he loses the job. But right. yes, one of my favorite things um, is their, their dying passion for the bottom of the roster because I also enjoy the bottom of the roster. Yeah. So, um, We're all into the, in this together. I like together. Keith Ford. Uh, he's he's a good dude, and he's a pretty good player. But I do think they desperately need to draft a running back, mm-hmm. um, somebody who can catch the ball out of the backfield, somebody um, who's got some burst. I just think there is a real lack of explosiveness in their backfield right now, which is not something you normally say when LaShawn McCoy is in the backfield, but he's not the same old LaShawn McCoy, and he's got some of that, but – how much uh, is a gamble at this point. So to me, that is still a desperate need. And what better situation for a running back to walk into than to, if they do keep Chris Ivory around, have the three most experienced running backs in the NFL in the room to bounce ideas off of and learn from. And a guy like Frank Gore, who has, as you mentioned, great habits, you know, I think it's a, it's a great situation for a young running back, and they would be wasting that situation if they didn't draft one. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, they it is an essential part of the offseason, I think, and I, I don't know if Brandon Bean and company are going to ignore it any longer. The last thing I wanted to get into is something we discussed briefly on the last podcast, but since then, the rumor popped back up. Odell Beckham still... Uh, there's still some trade swirlings around his name. And the Bills were in on Antonio Brown. If you look at the optics of what he is, he is a, he is a 26-year-old wide receiver. To me, the best in the game. And the most talented in the game right now. And he's signed for the next five seasons. Is... That something you would think about because I know I sure as hell would do it. And if if you get, I know all the headaches he is and everything about him, but that is a premier player signed for the next five years. And God, if Odell Beckham's not worth a first round pick, I'm not sure what receiver is. Yeah, at, I mean, at this point in his career, anyway. The number nine pick is a good pick. It's a valuable pick, but Odell Beckham is a special player. My mm-hmm. guess is it would take more than the number nine pick. Oh, for sure. And that's yeah. where it becomes uh, a bit of a question. Uh, kind of like uh, Antonio Brown in a way where, you know, of course you question how he would fit in, but, you know, as with Antonio Brown, not really a. Uh, a guy that finds himself in trouble off the field in the sense of legal trouble. Um, More just occasionally, you know, causing issues in the locker room or, um, you know, he's got a bit of a a temper um, and things like that. But 
I'd probably have a bit of a temper if I played with Eli Manning too. So I, you know, can't totally fault him for that. I don't think the Giants, I think it's a completely different situation than the Antonio Brown one because mm-hmm. Odell Beckham is not really forcing his way out of New York and he also doesn't necessarily, they're not going to give him away. The Giants aren't going to, you know, trade him for third and fifth round picks. If they were, then you would trip over yourself trying to put in that offer. Right. But if it's multiple firsts, if it's a future one, then I think that's where the Bills would probably bow out of that. And I, But I also don't think it would be an issue of, you know, would this guy agree to play in Buffalo because he's under a long contract. Mm-hmm. And Getting paid very I, He doesn't well. really – I don't think he has the leverage that Antonio Brown exercised with the Steelers. So, I mean, you pick up the phone when a guy like that is – um, rumored to be available, but you also don't let yourself get raked over the coals either. And I think multiple firsts would be a non-starter. For I would, Bean, for yeah, Bean, definitely. I would, I would guess. Um, and even a one and multiple twos or whatever it may take. I, I, my guess is the price tag would be too high, but he's a damn good player. Oh my and gosh, one that. Um, Arguably the most talented wide receiver in the league. Um, off to a start in his career that very few others uh, have even come close to. So uh, certainly something they should explore, but my guess is it's going to take more than just the number nine pick. Yeah, no, I I, I think that's, that's right, certainly. Uh, just to give some background about what he would cost in terms of cap hits. I mean, you, you go to spot track. Um, and look at his contract, and you see his cap hits, which are for from 2019 through 2023 as follows. 21, 19.25, 19.75, 19, and 15. However, in those first four years, you subtract the uh, the four, um, the four million from the signing bonus on each of those, so the cap hits would actually be 17 million, uh, 15.25, 15.75, 15, and again for 2023, 15. So it's it's a completely doable thing from a from a contract standpoint if the Giants are willing enough to eat that uh, remaining sixteen million dollars of of dead money to do it. I think in terms of what they would have to offer to get it done, it would probably be the nine, the nine pick. Which hey, you get Odell Beckham by all means, take the nine. I'm I'm good with that. That there is no better thing you can arm Josh Allen with in the NFL right now than Odell Beckham. Um, Especially because you can play him all over the place, too. And he can just completely expose defenders, uh, whether it be on the boundary or on the inside. I mean, the guy is just an animal. And he can make so many contested catches. He's he's awesome. Uh, there's there's no doubt he's, he's one of uh, my favorite players to watch in the league. But what would you have to give besides the nine? I wonder, because, you know, it is Dave Gettleman we're talking about here. And good old Brandon Bean. Uh, did uh, has done some dealings with him before and certainly worked with him for a long time. I wonder if they could get away with maybe doing the nine, a two next year, a three in a couple years, and let's say Shaq Lawson or Jerry Hughes. If that's the compensation, is that something you think about? I think I would for yeah, Odell Beckham. I for think sure. so. Um, I still... 
I think you'd be a really bad general manager if you traded him for anything less than two ones. Um, well, Gettleman's not great. But Gettleman is... <laughs> yeah, Gettleman's Gettleman. So, yeah, right. I mean, you know, there's always the possibility. The 49ers have come up as a strong suitor. Um, there will be competitors um, at a certain price tag. So, uh, I think that's where... It's kind of like Le'Veon Bell, um, where it's a possibility. It's um, after last week, you can't really rule anything out. But I think it's, I mean, I'm just trying to put my Dave Gettleman hat on and saying I, I would probably start the conversations at two ones at the very least. Um, well, if you put and, your Dave Gettleman hat on, you'd say, well, it's going to cost you LaShawn McCoy and Frank Gore. Right. I need more running backs. <laughs> He did take a running back over all these quarterbacks, so who knows yeah. um, what Dave Gettleman is capable or, of. And, and, if you can, and over trading down, too. And if you can way. take advantage of a, of a you know, less-than-sharp general manager, then I think you certainly you take a look. If it's anything less than two ones, then you take a look. Mm-hmm. Two ones, I think, is where it would the conversation would probably stop yeah. for Brandon Bean. Yeah, I think so, too. All right, one quick rumor um, that just popped up right at the end of our podcast here. Um, according to Ian Rappaport, uh, the Lions free agent pass rusher Ziggy Ansa has a visit set up with the Bills and then the Saints. And he says both are quite interested. The physical is important as he's recovering from shoulder surgery. Ziggy Ansa, at this point in his career, former top five pick out of BYU um, at this point, he is 29 years old, turns 30 in late May, um, and missed 11, or I'm sorry, nine games last year. Had four sacks, though, in seven games. Um, the Bills have not hidden the fact that, uh, you know, they, they want to add some, some pass rushers here. I mean, they were apparently in on the Trey Flowers discussion briefly because he ended up going to Detroit, seemed like an hour and a half later. Uh, but... They know they have a situation where Jerry Hughes and Shaq Lawson are both up at the end of the year. They had less than stellar pressure on the quarterback last year. So, if, And this certainly fits the profile of what we've been talking. Tall, long, coming off an injury, there might be some value there. Yeah, Zadarius, the profile. Zadarius Smith got four years, 66 million, 34 and a half in the first two years from the Packers. And that, you know, I'd say, I think Ziggy Anta might be a better player. Um, Zadarius is 26. He is a younger, he's yeah. a younger player. That's an, an a idea of the market. Do we have numbers on Preston Smith yet? Because no. he got signed as well. Um, Didn't he also go to the Packers? He also went to the Packers. Um, My goodness, the Packers just raking yeah, the Packers are getting after it, which again such a difference from Ted Thompson to Brian Gutekunst. Well, the end of Aaron Rodgers' career has kind of snuck up on yeah. on everyone, myself yeah, included, sure. and the window there is uh, is certainly closing a bit. So, you know, that's a rough idea. Trey Flowers, what did he? What was the numbers on him? Uh, uh, I think he got seventeen. So he's you know another guy that I 18? think you know is uh, you know a market setter at the position. Ezekiel Ansah has been a good player for uh, quite a few years. He struggled with some injuries, um, but the type of big-time pass rusher that they could use. And 
you're I mean that has been one of the needs for them um, sort of an understated need mm-hmm. uh, for most of the offseason because we've talked about Shaq Lawson and his future and where he fits a lot of uncertainty with Trent Murphy and you're not really invested in him anyways and Jerry Hughes is entering the final season of his contract and is probably going to want another big deal um, when his deal is up because he's still playing at a pretty high level so Ziggy Ansah and others like him definitely make sense. Um, the Bills were floated as somewhat interested in Trey Flowers. Um, so, you know, I think that's uh, this is a Ziggy Ansah makes sense, but the injury history is what will, you know, potentially uh, drive down the price, and, or you would hope would drive down the price and also, you know, give you a little bit of cause for concern. So if uh, if the Bills are able to rope in a uh, defensive end like Ansa, or it, if perhaps they're not, this is a uh, this is now a spot where you have to seriously give consideration to them spending some sort of substantial resource on it. And if you weren't thinking about it before, you certainly should now because it the Bills are are in on the idea of adding an edge rusher. And Brandon Bean kind of alluded to a situation like this. He did it more so in generalities about drafting for need versus um, drafting uh, best player available. And this was back at the Senior Bowl. I remember it distinctly. He went along the lines and said, look, if you have, let's say, a player on your roster who's going to be a free agent at the, at the, end, of, at the end of the upcoming season, and he's going to want a... Uh, $15 million a year contract, then, uh, I mean, you can you can draft for, for that position and not have to give that guy $15 million. So there, there's only one position that really stands out to them on their roster right now. That would be defensive end. And they've got two examples of it in Shaq Lawson and Jerry Hughes. You know, th- this is a, a sneaky need. And certainly if they were to get onto it, it uh, completes their four-pack of guys that they have at, at the edge rusher spot for the 2019 season, but still they would need to draft for the long term. So I still wouldn't even phase out the idea that they would uh, draft a defensive end at some point in, um, in the 2019 draft. Yeah. It's very much in play at number nine, I would say, yep. um, you know, their, in, their consistent interest in pass rushers, you know, definitely makes, um, you know, the number nine pick uh, a possibility, uh, for that position as well, especially considering some of the talent in this draft uh, at that spot. Um, so definitely a noteworthy visit uh, coming up for, for Ansa because I think that's a, that's a guy that would probably shore that up for now um, to the point where they maybe wouldn't feel the need to draft a guy in the top 10. But this is all um, you know part of the, the bigger picture roster building strategy that you know, Brandon Bean has talked about and that I think will influence their draft strategy in a big way, depending on, you know, if they can land them. All right. So plenty of stuff still to come with, with the Buffalo Bills in terms of free agency. Also, we've got a big week coming up because I have the results of the Come On Darlene Final Four. And that means we have a championship matchup set up between two entrants to the Come On Darlene bracket. The first matchup, the first Final Four matchup was between 
The aforementioned Jerry Hughes for pretending that screaming at the official in the tunnel after the game never happened, only 15 minutes after it happened, going up against Sean McDermott for saying, I've got to watch the tape to discuss the performance of Nathan Peterman against the Ravens. The winner, moving on to the championship. Sean McDermott for saying, I've got to watch the tape to discuss per- the performance of Nathan Peterman against the Ravens, which which won 67-33. to 33. So McDermott is in. The second matchup between Matthew Fairburn for not extending the long-standing Blaine Gabbert streak on the previous episode versus Vontae Davis for not only retiring mid-game but for leaving the stadium all together at halftime. I will say, you put up a pretty good battle here early on because I believe like the first five or six votes were for you. However, those were... Six of the only votes that you got because Vontae Davis moves on to the championship 83 to 17%. It's a strong final. Vontae Davis for retiring and leaving the stadium versus Sean McDermott for saying, I've got to watch the tape. It's the matchup many of you have been expecting, and it's here. I think it could be pretty close. I mean, Vontae Davis is strong favorite as he has been each round, but... There's two whipping posts in here, which is... Nathan Peterman. Yeah, let's not forget. And Vontae Davis. How Nathan Peterman played in that first game. This is a strong final. There was no tape to be watched. No, gosh, no. So that is a, it's an interesting matchup. The betting, what's the spread at? Uh, I'll say Vontae Davis minus two and a half. Does that, like, two and a half percent? Oh, okay. Uh, I thought we were doing the, an actual the, football game. Because the gap would be so, uh, Va- strong. So, Vontae Davis will be... I'd say, like, over under 70%. Right? Ooh, I think that's I think that's too much. I, I think um, 62 and a half. I take... I think Davis wins by more than that. Wow. Quite the, uh, quite the statement there. So, the, these two match up. These two guys... These two Come On Darlene's will be battling for the rights to be the initial Come On Darlene champion of the Bills Beat Podcast. Perhaps we'll mail him a trophy. I'm excited for it. Oh, I will, I will award Sean McDermott the Come On Darlene trophy. <laughs> See how he's looking at me. Well, now like, you have to. What the hell is this? Now you have to vote for Sean McDermott just no. to see that happen. Yeah. Because that would, Joe won't do it. No, he's I won't. Afraid. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to do that. But would be funny either way. So, uh, the ways to vote, just like always, either find the link right in the SoundCloud uh, info there, or you can tweet at us, hashtag, come on, Darlene. Should be fun, as is the rest of free agency, and we're probably going to let this vote breathe, so that way a lot of you can get your vote in. Um, but the the discrepancy between the, the two final four matchups were so great that neither of the other two were coming back, so we just called it right then and there. So here we are, the finals in Commander Lane, free agency about to get started, even though it's been started since noon on Monday, and uh, the Bills are are making things happen. So, the next time we will speak to you might be later in the week, maybe early next week after we get the full weekend of of what the Bills were able to do, and uh, and yeah, figure out uh, what this team is going to look like heading into the 2019 NFL Draft. So for Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, for Fritz Biscalia, who has occasionally groaned and, and barked at some points in the episode that has probably bled through. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you 
sometime in the next few days. See you then.